Welcome to our midweek Bible study and time of fellowship and praising the Lord and looking or focusing our hearts and minds toward the Lord in heaven. It's a joy to welcome you tonight. Thank you for joining us. And we're praying this will be a time of refreshing in the middle of the week. You don't get a lot of good news elsewhere, but we have some good news here tonight. I'm going to be reading from my New American Standard Bible tonight, and we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The human body is, a, is an amazing, is, is an amazing it instrument, really is. is it not? It's a chemical factory. It's got pumps in it. It's, it's got an electrical system. It's got all kinds of things. I hope uh, most of us have two hands and two feet and two eyes and ears and a nose. And, and I always jokingly say that my body's mixed up, my feet smell, and my nose runs. Uh, and that's what happens in the body of Christ at times. And Paul is using that as an illustration. So we'll read 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse number 12. You can read along as I read. For even as the body is one, that is, you only have one body, and yet as many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body, and individually, members of it. That's a great passage of scripture that really defines a lot, uh, or talks a lot about what we want to discuss tonight. Unifying a diverse body. We are uh, we are right now for the last eight months we've been kind of spread forever all over the place and and uh, that's not a good place for a church to be and so we're working very hard the pastors are working very hard with the church leadership to try to keep everybody together and uh, we did have a wonderful time being able to see each other recently and uh, we hope that we can do that again at some point but in the meantime we've got to try to hold everything together. And recognize that we're all part of the body of Christ. 
and in particular the local church body of Hamilton Square Baptist Church. It's hard to believe it's been eight months, but the Lord has held us together pretty well. Amen. And uh, we look forward to seeing what God continues to do in our midst. I want you to look at another verse that kind of deals with the same thing that we're talking about, the university, or the, the, the unifying of a diverse body in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. And the idea here is that we are supposed to be part of a growing church, a growing body, and each individual member has to be growing in order for that body to, to work properly and accomplish what God has for us. As Pastor said, the human body is a very complex organism. It's really very uh, unique with many unique elements, and God knew exactly what he was doing when he created us. If you have the notes there, you can see that there are several systems in our body, the circulatory system, the nervous system, the respiratory system, the digestive system, the skeletal system, the muscular system, and these all intertwine to make this body function so that we can twiggle, or wiggle our fingers and, and, uh, and we can open our eyes and all the other things we do. All the, these various organ, organs, the muscles, the tissues, the ligaments, the tendons, the veins, and all of the parts of the body work together to do something pretty incredible. And we can walk, we can run races, we can play with our children, we can work hard to provide for our families, we can fix a meal, we can stop and sit and read. All because God allows all these parts to fit together and work together. The Institute of Creation Research put out a kind of a description of the human body. And in your notes, you can look at that. It says, each one of the human body's 30 trillion cells is a mini chemical factory which performs about 10,000 chemical functions. Every cell has 1 trillion bits of data equal to every letter in 10 million books. The body's 206 bones provide the framework and its 639 muscles enable it to move with incredible split-second timing. Our body is controlled and coordinated by over 16 million neurons and 120 trillion connection boxes packed together into an unfathomably complex set of neuropassageways. The system is much like a modern nation, uh, inter interconnected by billions of telephone wires. Our heart beats over 100,000 times daily to move 168 million miles uh, around, uh, move blood 168 million miles around our body. We take about 23,800 breaths per day, maybe more if you're running, uh, to, to bring 438 cubic feet of air to our lungs. The skin alone has about 4 million structures which are sensitive to pain. It has about another half a million structures which are sensitive to touch, and 200,000 which are sensitive to temperature. And we're feeling that right now as it drops. Psalm 139 verse 14 says, Marvelous are thy works. Talking about the work of God who put together a body such as you and I enjoy. Now if we separate and isolate parts of the body, and uh, we did surgery and cut out your kidneys and set it off to the side, uh, it, the kidney wouldn't last very long by itself, and the whole body suffers when that happens. That's why surgery is so traumatic to people when we have it. And sometimes it has to happen, but it's not the norm. We want every single part of our body working and functioning together. 
when it doesn't function together properly, it's called dysfunctional or there's something quite something wrong. It is possible that they can keep your heart beating sometimes when other parts of your body are not working right. They can keep your lungs breathing with machines and things like that. But it doesn't last long like that. God has to keep the life and keep it all going according to its original functions. So the imagery, the imagery of a healthy body is a wonderful illustration of what a local church is supposed to look like. We're all supposed to be doing our part. And there are parts of the body that nobody really wants to see. I really don't care to see your liver. You don't want to see mine. But we need to have that important part. Not everybody can be up front like the pastor is in the pulpit or the singers are and they sing in the choir or the musicians that you see or even the ushers as they walk down the aisle. Not everybody has those openly seen parts like a Sunday school teacher. But each part is very important and whatever your part is needed in the local church. And I hope that you are keeping yourself alive and vibrant through the reading of God's Word, listening to these sermons, participating and thinking about the things that you are being taught from God's Word. So that when the time comes and we can put everybody back together again, we're up and running and nobody has missed a beat. Pastor read that long passage about, about the different parts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The eye saying, I don't need the foot, and the foot doesn't need the hand, and the hand doesn't need the eyeball, whatever. We can say all these things. I've actually heard somebody say, in one church I was in, we don't need people like that. And he was rebuked for that, because we need every single person in our local church Amen. to do their part, because each one is needed. Now, in our study of the thriving church, the word thrive and grow are almost interchangeable. They almost mean the same thing. We're not talking about size. We're not talking about amount of money in a bank account. We're not talking about size of, of influence. We're just talking about growing and being healthy and strong. There are four questions that we've been studying over and over again in each of these chapters that we've looked at in the thriving church. And that is what is growth? What causes growth? Am I helping or hindering my church's growth? That's a big question you need to ask yourself often. Am I helping with my church's growth? Or am I hindering the forward motion of what my church is trying to accomplish as a body? And how can I help my church be a growing body? If each one of us will do our part to ask those questions often, I think that we'll be able to stay as a healthy church, even though we have been somewhat separated for here almost a year, eight months now. When each of us is committed to spiritual growth and using our spiritual gifts, maybe a phone call, uh, praying for somebody that you're thinking about, uh, encouraging someone, whatever it is that you can do, when every one of us is doing our, our part, using our unique gifts and talents, that makes the church body healthy and strong, and it helps it to continue to grow. Now, you can take all the parts of the body and you can put them all together, and they can be in union with one another and still not have unity. Uh, several lessons ago we talked about the, the, the mean boys who took some cats and tied their tails together and hung them over a signpost. And uh, those cats were union, uh, united in some way, but there was no unity in their, in their attitude towards one another. And they were fighting and scratching and trying to get away the best that they could. Sometimes churches are like that. We can walk into the same building and not have unity. We can be members of the same church and not have unity. We, w we can look at other people and say, well, they're a little strange. I don't want to be close to them. I don't want to be near them. We don't really need 
people like that in our church. We need to be very careful of attitudes like that. Each part is important and vital in order for our church to be what God wants it to be. So we're going to look tonight at four different uh, main points. What is unity? What produces unity? What is, is it really possible to have a unified church? I've been in some that weren't so unified. Uh, and what does a unified church body look like? That's a big deal to the Lord. Unity is a big deal. He wants us to function together to accomplish our, uh, the pur His divine purpose for our local church and each one contributing their part. Ephesians chapter four verse thirty three. For Ephesians chapter four verse three clearly states that we are to diligent work diligently to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We got to work at this thing. So what is unity? Well, let's look back at Ephesians chapter four. I think we've looked at that recently, but let's let's look back at it again. Ephesians chapter four, uh, verses one through three. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. It says there, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When we are humble and gentle and patient and tolerant of other people and have genuine love for our fellow church members, we can have that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As long as we're humans living in a sin-cursed world, there's going to be differences of opinion. There's going to be, we've seen that just recently, politically. We have differences of opinion on how to face this COVID virus. We have all sorts of different opinions. How to, how to raise your children. Some people will say do it this way. Some will say to do it another way. We have all kinds of opinions, but we need to find... Uh, the way to work together and to be unified. And what is it that draws us together? You know, it is possible uh, to live without conflict and yet have animosity in the air. Uh, I have been in situations where I've give, been given the silent treatment by family members or by another church member. They just don't want to talk to me. And they, you know there's something wrong, they, they just don't want to talk. Uh, they're not saying anything mean, they're not saying anything bad. The problem is they're just not saying anything. There's no communication whatsoever. And that just leaves everything kind of in a stir. Um, unity involves not just, like you said, being in the same church building or being in the same Sunday school classroom or, or being gathered like we are tonight online together. Uh, unity involves a sense of harmony. Like when the different instruments in our church are playing all together at the same time on the same key. When it's not on the same key, wow, that's a problem. We've got to work at that and try to get everything tuned up. I think one man the other day was going to play his guitar with us, and then he went to tune it so that it would be in key with everything else, and his string broke, and he wasn't able to play. We want to have that harmony that everything works together as it should. Musically, we like that, but as a church, we want that as well. Uh, the kind of unity that we are to diligently preserve is more than just a lack of conflict. It's not just harmony. It is working together. It's going after a common goal. Now, in a body, your brain tells the rest of your body where to go. Uh, your brain tells you we're going to go north or we're going to go south or we're going to stop here so we don't run out in front of the traffic. 
Your brain tells you what to do. That's kind of what the pastors are. They kind of say, this is the direction our church is going. We're trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want everybody else to go with us at the same time. Wouldn't that be something if, if your brain was telling you to go forward and your left foot decided to go backwards? Where would you end up? You'd end up in the splits in the middle of the street. That's not a good position to be in. So we, we want to have a shared purpose. We want to be working together like a team of people who are on a tug-of-war team. In the, picture, in, the, uh, in the notes there, there's an illustration there of a team pulling with all their might, trying to pull that rope so that they can win the contest. That's what we want to be doing, working, pulling, all in the same direction to accomplish God's will for our local church. Unity, Dean Taylor says, unity is reflected by all the members doing their part to contribute to the purpose of the whole church. And unity is most enjoyed when there is deep affection and lifelong commitment by the members for one another. Are you committed to your local church? Are you committed to the members of the local church? Are you sure that you want to be a part of this thing? You know, unity in a local church is a beautiful thing. The members work together each for the other and all for the glory of God. So that's what unity is. It's not just a matter of being in the same building. It's uniting our hearts together to accomplish God's purpose. So what produces that kind of unity in a church? What, kind of, what produces that in a, in a body? In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, We're to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the, the local church can, only can have a unity when we're following the, the leading of the Holy Spirit in our church congregation. Each individual member must have the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we can get together like we will soon in a, in a business meeting and sense that the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. And when the Holy Spirit is there in, in our hearts, when the pastor makes a suggestion, our Holy, our, the, the Holy Spirit within us, will we'll agree with what is being said. And we will say, this is the direction we should go. If we have the Holy Spirit in us and the pastor tries to take us in a, in a different direction, which he wouldn't hear, but our, the, something in our spirit would say, that's not quite right. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. But when all of us have the same agreement, that's the Holy Spirit working in us to bring us together to accomplish his will and his purpose. Uh, in our local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 and 14 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many members, and that's the idea of being united together following the Spirit of God. Unity is the work of the Spirit of God. It's not something that we can force on anybody. It's not something that we can work up. As each individual member, that's you, where you are, right there in your living room or wherever it is that you're at, a restaurant, a coffee shop, whatever it is that you're at, in your car, if you are walking in the Spirit, you will find that when you get together with other people who are walking in the Spirit, there will be peace and there will be unity. The Corinthian church experienced unity between two of the most vastly different groups of people there ever were. If you ever go to the Middle East, I've not been, but one day maybe the Lord will let me go. I understand if you go into certain sections of the Middle East, the Arabs are on one side and the Jews might be on the other. And I understand they don't let one group go into the other, guys, other section of the town because 
there will be problems and there will not be unity. But here in the church at Corinth, there was unity because they were all united around the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Uh, the Corinthian church experiences great unity between Jews and Greeks who would have been naturally at odds with one another. But they had become part of God's household because they had the Spirit of God within them. The Apostle Peter described this new institution that mixes Jews and Gentiles together, people from all races, language, tongues, and backgrounds, histories and ages, and, and single people and married people, and people with children and people without children, grandparents and, 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 and little children, and unites them all together in one thing. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people. You were divided. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's, that's what a local church is. It's a group of people who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who share the heartbeat, a desire to please God, the Holy Spirit's inside them to guide them. We have God's Word uh, as, as our instruction manual, and we work together to accomplish God's purpose. This new institution, the church, does not find its unity through a set of rules and regulations, though we do have bylaws, and we do have a constitution, and we have those things. We do have our Bibles. But there's a unity in our heart that wants to follow those things. It's not something that's imposed upon us by some edict like, like a governor's edict or a president's edict or a congress's law or a policeman who forces you to abide by a certain law. It's because in our hearts of hearts we want to do these things. We want to be a part of the church of the living God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says, Now in Christ Jesus you were you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God. Through the cross, I'm sure I got the right page, by it having been put to death the enemy. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You see, the entire Trinity is involved in this unity that God wants in the church. God the Father is involved, Christ the Son is involved, and the Holy Spirit is involved. And the unity of the Trinity is a good example for us. Just as God is not God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father, and yet they are one in the same, 
you and I are not, the, the, the heart is not the lung, and the lung is not the toe, and the toe is not the eyeball, and yet we're all part of this body that is one thing that God wants to accomplish in a local church. Not all of us can be the pastor, not all of us can be the usher, not all of us can be the nursery worker, but we can all work together to accomplish God's purpose in our local church. All of us, uh, Dean Taylor says, uh, you have unity because God the, whole, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has brought us together. You have unity, but you must work to maintain that by continuing to walk with the Lord. Being diligent to keep, Ephesians 4.3, means working together to maintain that unity. You know, all of us are at different stages of our Christian life. Pastor has been, been saved for 150 years, and I've been saved for a little less than that. Pastor Kelly's been saved a little less than that. You've been saved however long you've been saved. Some of you are brand new Christians, and yet we can all find that common unity through the Spirit of the Lord. All of us have temptations, and all of us have failed at times, and yet we are here to work together in relationships to encourage one another, to be faithful to the purpose that God has for us. Uh, we can only allow those we trust to get close enough to know our deepest struggles, our doubts, and our fears. And so we really have to build relationships in our church. I hope that you are doing whatever you can, whether it's a text message, an email, a phone call, or meeting somebody, and, and finding a way to stay in touch with other people in the local church in spite of the difficulties that we're facing. If, if nothing else, send a letter by Pony Express, but find a way to communicate with another member. We must work diligently at building these relationships. They don't just happen because we walk in the same building. We have to learn how to converse with, another, with one another, and we have to really get to know each other. Someone suggested the following acronym for getting to know each other. It's the acronym of FRIENDS, F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Friends, family, ask about other people's family, especially if you're new in the church or you see somebody who is new in the church. How's your family doing? Do you have family? How many children do you have? And it's not, a, it's not an inquisition. It's not that you're, you're trying to, to uh, interview somebody. But you, you want to get to know them. Tell them about your family. and Tell them about what God's doing in your family. A role. What is your role? What job do you have? Uh, what is your role in the in the company that you're working in? Tell us. Tell me about what you do for a living. Here, this is what I do, and and build the relationships by talking about that. Take it a little bit deeper. Talk about people's interests. What are your hobbies? What did you do this week that was so interesting? What what has God been doing in your life? What are you, what are you interested in? What have you been watching on television, or or what book have you read lately? Education. Where did you get your education? Are you in school now? What, what are you studying? These are all ways that you can start a conversation. Neighborhood. Do you live close by? What's, uh, what's your house like? Uh, are, how, are, how involved are you in your community? Are you, are you involved by getting to know your neighbors? Uh, how can we minister together through your neighborhood? Denomination. Uh, what is your spiritual background? Did you, go to, did you grow up in church? Um, what what was your church like? Uh, were your parents involved in the church? What are your religious beliefs? Where where do you stand on certain things? And then you can get to that important thing of talking about someone's salvation or their or their spiritual walk. How are you doing? Are you sure that you're going to heaven? 
that's one of the first questions you ought to ask somebody at church. I love it when we get together with, with the men once in a while for a prayer breakfast and, and we take turns having different men give the testimony about how they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If there's somebody in your church that you don't know for sure if they're saved, you ought to ask them first. If we can't witness to one another, how in the world are we going to do it outside the church walls? So it's good for us to share our testimony one with another. Be blessed as we talk about what, is, what God has done. Ask them, what are you learning from your Bible reading? Hey, did, what did you think about what the pastor said in that sermon? Not, I don't mean in a derogatory way. If he said something about forgiveness, what, wasn't that something what he said about forgiveness? Wasn't that something of what he said about the blood of Christ? And, and you don't have to have all the answers, but at least you can start the conversation and, and aim those conversations away from the general, hey, how you doing, and oh boy, this cup of coffee is really good, uh, to something that is, is deeper and more meaningful and will draw you together into that relationship, a spiritual relationship where you're encouraging each other in the Lord. Again, don't come across as being an interrogation. Share what God's doing in your life. Make it a two-way conversation and not just asking questions and waiting, sitting back and waiting for an answer. Uh, be genuine, be real, and be more concerned about the other person than you are about yourself. Listen as much or more than you talk, and uh, you'll be surprised uh, what you learn and how, how much you have in common with that other believer. Now, you're not going to be best friends with every single person in the church. There are some people who have other uh, natural uh, interests, and, 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 and you'll be drawn to a few. But you ought to have some very close, intimate friends in within your local church. People that you are you feel very comfortable sharing what God is doing in your life. So be preactive, pro, proactive in developing friendships with a few of them. Uh, don't let differences keep you uh, at a distance. Push through those differences and get to know people. Work at it and watch your relationships go grow. That's good advice from Dean Taylor, a pastor from South Carolina. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Heaven's going to be something. Jesus said we'd not be married in heaven. I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know if we're all going to be 33-year-old men with beards. I don't know, but we're all going to be a very similar when we get to heaven. It's going to be strange. We're going to be like the Lord Jesus. So don't let those petty differences between you and another person keep you from building that relationship with him uh, that, uh, that God wants you to have. Overlook little annoyances. Uh, don't let them turn into deep resentments. Don't gossip or listen to gossips. I, I remember one time we, we had just moved into a new uh, situation, and, uh, and, it's, and I found another, another man who was my age, and, and we both had an interest in basketball. Believe it or not, I used to play basketball. And, and we played basketball, and as we were playing basketball, he kept telling me, I hadn't been there two, two days, and he started telling me everything that was wrong with the church, everything that the pastor had done wrong, everything that anybody had ever done to him. And I just grabbed the ball and I held on to it, and I said, hold on a second, sir. I said, I don't know you well enough to know if any of this is true, but if it is true, I wonder, have you talked to the pastor about these problems that you're having? Have you talked to these other people that you are having trouble with? He said, uh, 
Uh, no. I said, well, I'm going to give you the rest of the day to do that because if you don't, I'm going to see him tomorrow and let him know that you've got some problems that are bothering you. And uh, that conversation came to a quick end very quickly. Uh, so don't listen to gossip or don't gossip yourself. If, if you don't understand why someone is, uh, is doing something, ask them. If you have a problem with somebody else, go to them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Oh my, that is so nice when people are getting along and we don't hear the gripe sessions and we don't hear all the difficulties. Um, we can put a stop to that sort of thing by dealing with them biblically. Dean Taylor says, if you know about a sin problem, talk to the person rather than about the person. That's biblical. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins, go to him and show him his fault in private. You don't want to embarrass him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've won your brother over. Uh, then if it doesn't work out that well, then they, Matthew chapter 18 goes on and gives you further instructions on, on how to deal with it. But, but don't just let things fester. If there's a problem, deal with it. And deal with it kindly and deal with it soon, lest it becomes a bigger problem. That's what we do medically. If we have a problem medically, we deal with it while it's a little problem. Because if we don't, it's going to become a big problem in our body. If we get an infection, we want to deal with it. We want to put the medication on it. We want to deal, put the salve on it, whatever it is. So that we can solve it. If we have a tumor, we want to get it cut out. Whatever it is that's bothering you that will hinder the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace in a local church, do what you can to deal with it. Sadly, some relationships cannot grow because of a choice to continue in sin. And uh, beware of anyone who works to destroy the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace through teaching false doctrine or trying to go against the direction that the church is going if it's following the Lord. Such people are not led by the Spirit of God, and they must therefore be rejected. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment or they have an agreement? The King James says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? We have to be in agreement that God's Word is true, that the Holy Spirit is guiding us, and that our desire is to serve the Lord with all of our hearts. That's when we have unity. We have agreement around what God wants to see accomplished in our church. Loving relationships in a local church can only be built around the truth of God's word. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Paul wrote to the Roman church. He said, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Beware of someone who teaches something contrary to what you're hearing from the pulpit and when the pastor preaches. Because we are working very hard to tell you what is said in God's Word. This is not made up stuff. We don't get this stuff out of uh, the Time magazine or something else. We try to get our messages from the Word of God and follow what God has said. Beware of someone who enjoys arguing or is constantly uh, introducing new doctrines that, are, that disagree with what's being taught in the local church. Uh, but follow Matthew 18 in those situations. Go to the person and say, I'm not sure, where are you getting this? 
And then make sure that you compare Scripture with Scripture. And if you're confused, bring somebody else involved uh, into it and deal with it. Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11 says, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man, a man who causes trouble and division, after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Dean Taylor wrote this, he said, Divisiveness is one of the worst infections in the body of Christ that it can have. A person who causes division does not belong in that body. Regardless of who it is, anyone causing division must either repent or be removed. Be alert and take appropriate action if the body is being harmed by divisiveness. If this is happening in your church, deal with it now. And I would emphasize now. Again, you heard me say earlier that uh, we've heard somebody say, well, we don't need someone like that in our church. Now, there may be some people that we don't need in our church, people who are teaching false doctrine. But that should not be something we arrive at quickly. That is not something that we should arrive at because we don't like a personality quirk. Someone has a personality quirk. Or because their skin is a different color, or they come from a different part of the country, or, or we just don't like them. Those differences should come when, when we know that there's a doctrinal reason for it. God wants his church to be unified. Peace and unity among God's people is very pleasing to our Lord. In Psalm 133, he talks about that unity being like the oil that was poured down upon Aaron, the high priest, in the Old Testament before he became the high priest. It sanctified him and set him apart. And he smelled well and it, the, it flowed down his beard and into his garments and everywhere he went, there was a sweet savor. It also talks about Jerusalem and what it's like, that refreshment of, a, of the dew in the morning as it, as it flows out, out over the city. And, and that is a place where there's blessing, life evermore. Psalm 133 ends with that. And so it is that that's what we must be working at uh, in our local church. It comes as we walk in the Spirit. We follow the leading of God the Father and God the Son in His Word. And we are obedient to the scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 reminds us to work at this. He says, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, you say you want to worship God. You say you want to please God. And then you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering. Stop worshiping and go make sure things are right between you and him. Leave your offering, therefore, before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. It's really hard to serve the Lord when you're at odds with one of his children. Make sure that you have things right with someone in the church that you are upset with or, or you just don't like. Try to do what you can to bring peace and unity to that relationship. Take the initiative. Initiate a conversation. Ask for or give forgiveness if someone's wronged you. And do it as soon as possible. Be diligent indicates that you should do the hard, uncomfortable things that will restore unity. Anytime someone falls in sin, the idea is we're not trying to condemn them. We want to restore them and bring them back into the fellowship whenever it's possible. Number three, is it really possible to have a unified church body? We've got to hit these last two points very quickly. It indeed is. It's called, in the, it's called in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, it's called the bond of peace. God wants that in the local church, a bond. 
that's uh, we think of James Bond, and that's about all we think about when we think of that word. But the idea of a bond is it, it's, it's like a super glue that just holds things together. It takes two things that are separated from each other and, and puts them together in such a way that they're almost one unit. Uh, you ever get super glue on your fingers? I have. My wife hates it when I start working with super glue because then I get those fingers stuck together and it takes forever to try to get them apart. This is the idea. We're supposed to be bond, bonded together to our fellow church members, our, the other people in our local church, the fellow Christians in other churches who believe the same things. We are to be united in the cause of Christ to accomplish His will. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 says that He, Jesus Christ Himself, is our peace. He's the one who bonds us together, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. We've read that before. Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit's involved, Jesus Christ is involved, and God wants us to be unified. There it is. Dean Taylor says this, Christ's death removes all barriers between you and every other believer. You are united with other Christians through Jesus Christ's death. They're, they're brothers and sisters because they've accepted that in salvation. All contention or enmity between people groups, ethnicis, ethnic groups, uh, demographic categories, generations, genders, and any other category, they're gone. Unity in the church is a theological truth. We are part of the body because of what Christ has done theologically. And it's a reality whether or not you see it or feel it. But Paul is exhorting church members to practice it, actively be engaged in it. We are brothers and sisters. Not all brothers and sisters get along. We need to be working towards that type of unity. Love for Christ and living for Him is the bond that glues believers together. And that, again, is that context of Jews and Gentiles, people who are naturally completely at odds with one another. They're supposed to be able to put all that aside and be unified for the glory of God and the cause of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says, Beyond all things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Our Savior calls us to unity. Do everything you can to reconcile any rift you have with another believer. Put aside your hurts and offenses. Forgive and forget about it. Pastor Innes calls, calls it, just eat it up. He told me that one time with somebody I was having difficulty with. Just eat it up. And, and, and make pleasing Jesus Christ the priority of your life. If you'll do that and the other believers will do that, uh, we will be able to have the good unified church. It's possible. It is possible to have a unified church body when everyone submits to the Lord Jesus Christ. And follows him. So, what does a unified church body look like? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 talks about seven different foundational elements that describe the unity of a local church, the unity of a church. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, we are members of one body. We remember the same body, the body of Jesus Christ. You're a part of that thing. And you can be a helpful part or you can be a harmful part. We want you to be a helpful part. We want you to be involved in this thing. Uh, one body. 
for the glory of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Don't let any kind of personal discrimination keep you from loving another church member. There's a little song that we used to sing in Sunday school. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. All are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And then as I got a little older, we sang another song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in a fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. You're a part of that if you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've accepted him. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. So we are members of one body. We have been given one, given life by one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And he regenerates all believers and joins us into that body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. By one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all made to drink of the one spirit. Ephesians 2.22, you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. We have one hope of our calling. All believers share the hope of one day seeing the Lord face to face as we enjoy the glories of his presence. All of us can confidently look forward to that day when we go to heaven to be with him. It maybe we'll go at the rapture, it maybe we'll go through a, a cemetery, but one day we will be all united together in that glorious place in heaven where, with the, in the presence of God. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says we are looking for that blessed hope Every believer can be unified around that blessed hope. We are all to serve one Lord. Our church doesn't belong to us. It's not my church. It's not Pastor Ennis's church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's church. And we all want to be a part of what God wants to see accomplished in our church. A unified church is an obedient church, a church that follows the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, He, God the Father, put all things in subjection under His God the Son's feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He also is the head of the body, the church. Our personal desires, our personal ambitions all need to be set aside. What is best for the body? What is best in, to, uh, what is the best way to live in obedience to our Lord? the one Lord who unites us together. We are saved by the same one faith. We all came to the place of salvation by faith, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans talks about Abram having faith, and by his faith he was also become a part of the body of Christ. Nobody, not even the most faithful church member, can earn their way to heaven. It all has to come through faith in Jesus Christ. And sixthly, we, are, we all publicly declare our faith in Christ through one baptism. That's why we push baptism. It may be talking about spirit baptism. By the Holy Spirit, we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We're all made to drink of one spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But I think it's talking about that, that identification of, the, of, of being a true believer in Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said that we're to go and, go and make disciples of all nations, and part of that was baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, to teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. 
And then Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42 says, Everyone, all who had received his word were baptized, and then they were added to the church. You see, all believers who obey Christ's command to be baptized share in this public testimony of being his followers. This is a common experience, and it's the basis for our unity in a local church. I hope that you're taking those steps of obedience. And lastly, in those seven things that we find about one body, one spirit, one, all these other things that are listed, we have the same Father, one God and Father of all. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 says, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And while there is a sense that God is the Father of all mankind because He created us, only those who truly accepted Jesus Christ as Savior have become sons of God, true part of the family of God, His redeemed children uh, who enjoy those benefits of eternal life. So in conclusion, we want to be thankful for the diversity in the body of Christ. I'm thankful for the people who take out the trash at our church. I'm thankful for the people who take up the offerings. I'm thankful for uh, people who do every little thing that happens in our church. Shaking hands, making, giving a smile to someone, giving a word of testimony to someone, preaching a sermon, whatever. All these parts are very important, but we all have to do our part. Some just have to come and their presence is there and the smile on their face is all we need. We don't see the eye to eye on every issue, but we must agree that God's word is true, and that we serve the one true God, and that he's called us to be unified as a local church body. In John chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus said this, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. He's talking to God the Father. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. We uh, reflect well upon God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, when we serve together as a united, unified church body. Each of us does our part to work and endeavor and, and, and are diligently striving together to live in peace. You can see some verses there at the end. But I just want to show you, uh, read, read one uh, verse at the end of the, the notes that I've given to you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28. For you all are sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, we have a... We, we live in a, with a group of people that have very different backgrounds. Some from Asia, some from Europe, some from here, right here, some from the East Coast, the West Coast, the South, the North. We have people with different colors of skin, people who have a diversity of different languages, a lot of different cultures. We see that sometimes when we have our lunch and mingle and different kind of foods that come out. But we can find unity built around the Lord Jesus Christ and being faithful to his word for the common cause of helping each other grow in things of the Lord and glorifying God as we serve Him together. I trust that you want to be a part of that. I know I do. And I uh, want you to continue to grow so that when we are able to get back together again, we can just take off where we left off even better than we were before the COVID hit us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we've had to look at your word, and look at some principles and some ideas, 
that talk about the unity among a diverse group of people. And God, I pray that you help us to set aside the things that would distract us from serving you together. Help us to be faithful, even though we are separated right now. Help us to be faithful to your word, faithful to one another, encouraging one another where we can, but mostly glorifying you in the way we live our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.